Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. Today on the Ether, six modules of CFP planning hosted by Orbital Command with Hutch. Let's take a listen. Welcome, Hutch. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. Awesome, man. How are you doing today? Good. How about you? Doing good, man. Looking forward to this session today. I'm definitely excited to get more familiar with TradFi, that's something that I've skipped along the way into crypto. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because most people I meet in crypto are that way. They started with crypto and then learn, you know, a lot of trading tactics and TA and stuff. And what we're going to be talking about is more so financial literacy, financial education, financial organization, if you will. Uh, obviously, no financial advice. Uh, but just helping to piece together the some of the parts to make a better whole. Uh, that's the purpose of today. Um, yeah, that's great. Did you have others that you invited to the space today? I did. I invited a lot of people. Uh, I don't know if it... Um, I know there's a Voyager space going on with a lot of Luna and uh, uh, other people, but <clears throat> I think what we could do is maybe just give them... Um, Give them a minute or two before we kick it off. Um, I know you guys like to keep things to an hour, which is good because then the content is kind of evergreen. Um, and so what we can do is we can talk to people about what you guys are doing right now before we, uh, before we kick it off. Um, Orbital Command was really, uh, really generous in Austin and basically said, hey, if you want to talk about how, you know, where, how TradFi meets DeFi, uh, they would they would actually open up a room for that and so anybody could go there to their discord uh their community validator doesn't cost anything they make money off of people staking and basically trying to create goodwill by uh by offering these educational services and so uh they're going to have moderators to take on questions uh because i'm still working in tradfi uh quite vigorously since the luna collapse uh, but I do plan to stay somewhat active through the mods at least and, and make sure to help everybody get informed over there. Did you guys want to add to that? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, ultimately, as a community validator, we feel like uh, since we categorize ourselves as that, um, we want to bring as much education and as much of value as possible to our our members, our delegators. <laughs> And obviously, DeFi is at the center of that. But I think, especially with the bear market going on right now, it's important to be aware of a macro environment and then other ways to take care of yourself uh, financially uh, and, and the future of yourself and your family um, just through different tactics, to, through different proven um, 
tools, right? And I think that's where you come in. And um, again, I, I skipped through all of that through through my uh, education and in finances. And uh, so that, that was my purpose of uh, inviting you and, and trying to learn a little bit more from your experience. Of course, none of this is financial advice, but it's still educational. And uh, I have here Dr. Doskin as well, who uh, is also part of the Orbital Command team. And, hey, Doc. Uh, and yeah, so he's very helpful as well. How are you going, legend? Long time no speak, mate. Yeah, I know. It has been a while. It's fun fun to be back out here talking. Um, but yeah, good, good to see you. Just a, just a little quick share and just said people come on down and join us. We've got hearts dropping some knowledge bombs. So um, I always love when you get on a rant. There's always something. <laughs> something awesome. Yeah, well, I'm about to get on a big one. And I, I think uh, I think what Evan was saying is great, because if you think about it, even if you're going to kill it in crypto and you're going to do whatever, a 10x, a million x, a thousand x, at the end of the day, you're going to have to do something with that wealth and it's going to have to be organized in a certain way or not. Right. Uh, and there are certain clients I've met in times, you know, where they're like multimillionaires, you know, eight and nine figure billionaires. And it's um you know, I tell them, you know, you, you'll probably be fine if you never talk to me again. And they like to win. Like, they like to be as efficient as possible. So that's really what this is all about. I think there's enough people here we can get started. And you guys are recording. So um, let's just talk about these six modules and one of my bonus modules as well. So the first module of the financial plan, it's CFP board, the Certified Financial Planner Board, uh, which I no longer pay anymore because it, it it's actually like kind of like a private company. And, you know, they, they hold you to their regulation, just to their standards and everything. But there's, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in what they're doing and everything I'm going to talk about here really kind of takes it to the next level, almost through the lens of like a DGEN, how you guys know me from Luna. Um, so the first module is the financial planning process. Uh, there's some jokes out there in TradFi. Other people don't necessarily like the CFP board. So they'll say CFP stands for certified failure planner, <laughs> which isn't necessarily true. But the one thing that I, I think is interesting about the, the process that they advocate is to create these financial plans, like these 30, 50 page glossy binder financial plans, all these reports. And the only issue with that, well, there's a couple issues is one is they use a lot of static variables. So for instance, if you would have run one of those reports, call it six or seven months ago and used an inflation figure of two or two and a half or three, obviously that's going to be obsolete, right? If you were using a rate of return of whatever, that's a linear rate of return. I call it the flaw of averages. And the one thing is for certain is the market does not just move by a steady 8%, 9%. It may work out to average that internal rate of return over the course of your lifetime. And I'm talking about TradFi here, right? DeFi is what it is. I mean, right? Uh, Sometimes it's uh, the penthouse and sometimes it's the outhouse. But regardless, as far as the planning process goes, as soon as you kind of print that 50-page report and the client pays $2,500 or $3,500, whatever they pay, it's pretty much obsolete shortly after they walk out the door. And the other issue I have with it is I notice people in general like simplicity. Like they, they want to check that box and just be done with it, right? Like, okay, I went and talked to a financial planner. He told me what I needed to do. He printed this report. I put it in the junk drawer. Check, done. And then they never think about it again. But it's dynamic. So money is a lot less like math 
and it's more like organic chemistry. Like it's just, there's just constant variables. Uh, one example I know from uh, a software I subscribe to said, you know, you take an orange and you put it in a safe and 30 years later, what do you have? It's not going to be an orange. You don't really know what it's going to be. It's going to be like a, a bunch of moldy kind of dust and maybe some bugs, right? That's how money's like. It's just all the variables that make up that certified financial plan are just constantly changing. And the last few months have been a perfect example of that. So most people with that check the box mentality have what I call junk drawer financial. So they have a junk drawer where they kind of, they got the insurance policy. Maybe if they have kids, they hope oh, I'm doing the college saving plan, 200 a month. That's what the calculator said. Boom, done. Yeah. Uh, they got the 401k, right? They got the E-Trade stuff, like whatever it is, not to mention all the crypto accounts that we deal with. And really you want to, you want to take a more coordinated approach. And so uh, I used to never charge for a plan like that. I just wouldn't do them. I was against it. So I would charge hourly and I would make the client come to my office or do Zoom and show them all the variables in real time, like inflation changing, the rate of return changing. You can plug in like market downturns or what happens if they get a lawsuit or whatever, like any any anything like that. And they can just kind of see their model stress tested uh, in real time. But the 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 moral of the story is you want to stay on top of it. So I'm going to move on to module two. Uh, well, I'm going out of order. I'm going to move on to the second module, which I'm going to talk about investments. And I'm not going to belabor the, the, the point about specific investments, because I know most of you actually manage your own investments, at least in DeFi in the crypto space. But a lot of you have an attitude that a lot of my clients have, uh, where they actually my message would gravitate to them because I would straight up tell them like, you know, most financial planners are going to say, Hey, just put all your money with me and we're going to lock it up till you're 59 and a half, 62, 65, 67, whatever you want that number to be. And I'm going to get you seven, eight, nine, 10%, whatever it is. And you just keep doing what you're doing and, and, and everything's going to be great. And you're going to, you know, you're going to go off into the sunset. Uh, and I'm going to handle your investments. And, you know, most of my clients are business owners, uh, a lot of real estate investors, a lot of fiscally responsible people that do a lot of research and handle their own investments. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're staying on top of it. Uh, what I wanted to talk about is that every investment, all it is, is just simply an inflation adjusted holding tank. That's all it is. Right? You can put money in a coffee can under the mattress in the safe. And we all know we're losing to inflation right now. Big time. Just went to Costco last night. Um, and the way I look at any investment is I like to cross check it through something that I didn't learn in the CFP board, but something I, I kind of made up on my own. Uh, I call it the LCL model that should be attached to risk reward. Like most investment planners, they stop and then risk reward, risk reward, right? Here, what's the risk reward? What's the sharp ratio? What's the risk adjusted return? But to me, what's almost even more important to that is LCL, which is liquidity, cash flow, and leverage. And it's because cash flow is the rails that everything runs on. And those of us that are on this call that, you know, we're deep in the Luna ecosystem, we realize how important liquidity was, right? Um, and 
leverage is often a dirty word. And so it's like not even really taught or brought up. I mean, I, I spent, I can't tell you for the CFP test, you have to do six classes, like not six hours, but like six whole like quarters or whatever. And then you have to pass the test for each of these modules. And then you have to go take the test for all of the module. And there was just not a lot about leverage. And the thing about leverage is the ultra wealthy know that using other people's money, OPM, is the way to get ahead. And obviously you can get absolutely wrecked. And I'm not just advocating just blind, reckless leverage, but you know, incorporating some risk managed leverage strategies uh, using other people's money creates this multiplier effect, this multiplicity effect. So instead of uh, times two, you take the investment and you square it, uh, these types of things. So whenever I look at any investment, I look at it through not only risk reward, but also that liquidity, cash flow, and leverage. So let's let's just do a couple examples together. You look at crypto. Okay, so something's beaten up, it's down, and you think it's gonna moon. Cool, risk reward, you think it's there. Uh, how liquid is it, right? Like how much is the slippage on the decks or how liquid is the exchange, especially in times like these where you just wanna get out and you want you want liquidity. Right. Cash flow. Can you stake it? Can you liquid stake it or is it locked up or can you not stake it at all? Right. Uh, and leverage. Like one of the things that really uh, attracted me to the Terra ecosystem was the fact that at any moment I could go ahead and post B Luna's collateral and borrow against it for anything, whether I needed liquidity, whether I was trying to get into a less liquid coin that I thought I was going to move moon, whether there were cash flowing opportunities like LPs that I could beat the rate of leverage I was paying, the loan rate I was paying by um, by earning more in the LPs. So that was that's always a lot more important to me, uh, even in TradFi. And so like when I look at stocks, you know, uh, you want to look at the the liquidity aspect and when you could always cash out the stock, but as soon as you do, it's a single use asset, right? like a lot of crypto projects, but Luna was a multi-use asset. Um, and most stocks, uh, if you have them on a brokerage that offers favorable margin trading, uh, they are liquid and they're liquid usually up to 50%, meaning uh, if you are at 50% loan to value, they'll start to liquidate you incrementally. You don't get just completely whacked like you do with Luna unless things just start going down, but they will liquidate you incrementally to make sure you're under that 50%. And they do that on a daily basis. Now, I don't recommend that anybody just ride that high, uh, but that is an option if you need liquidity in stocks. So, you know, we're starting to get to the point where things are beating up maybe we've hit the bottom maybe we haven't i am kind of inclined to think we haven't but again i'm not a financial advisor and uh you shouldn't listen to my financial advice anyway because i thought luna was going to be a lot higher than 0. 0.0005 uh but regardless you know at some point some of the trend fine stocks that are out there will be an attractive buy and that could be a multi-use asset there's something called portfolio margin where you can actually 
leverage against the stock, meaning you just keep the stock in the brokerage and you can use that equity to buy more stocks. Or you can actually take cash. You link your checking account and you could uh, take cash out um, and you can get higher than 50%. Now, it's not a set number. You, it's kind of a moving target because it's based on overall portfolio volatility, which is why when you're looking at investments, especially in a brokerage account, you want to be diversified. So, we can talk about another something else. Like I like to pair stocks with metals. Now, metals, if you go buy hard assets, physical metals, not super liquid, right? If you have to go find a pawn shop and hopefully the guy's only going to charge you whatever, six, seven percent over spot, it's kind of like selling real estate, right? Like real estate's not super liquid. You can't just go to a market and get it. There's all kinds of contracts and a process. Like you can get liquidity out of it via selling it, but it's going to take some time and you may not be able to get it at a moment's notice like you can with stocks or you can with what I call paper metals, which I understand everybody always says, go get physical, which is fine and good. You should probably have some physical just in case the world comes to an end. Um, and the most valuable assets are like canned food and lead and powder and things like that. Um, but otherwise, if you're operating in today's world and you want liquidity, paper metals paired with stocks can be a way to keep that portfolio margin volatility measured down because they're not exactly correlated. They are both going down now, uh, but generally when there's high inflation, metals come back. But uh, it doesn't cash flow, right? You can't really stake it, uh, but you can leverage against it. And if you need liquidity with paper metals, you can get it for uh, a very low commission or, or some brokerages uh, pay no commission. Real estate, people love real estate. It cash flows nicely. Uh, you can use leverage, right? Most uh, commercial lenders will lend against it 50, 60 some percent. Um, obviously, there's always a risk like right now of there being a bubble. Uh, it's not super liquid to sell. Uh, and there's complications to it as well, right? There are people attached to it. So you got a lot of lawyers, contracts, uh, as they say, toilets, dealing with toilets, tenants and trash. Um, muni bonds, another one. So muni bonds on paper sound awesome, right? They're liquid. They cash flow. Uh, you can actually borrow against them. Uh, the problem is they just <laughs> they don't pay very much, right? In these in this low interest rate environment, you're going to get two, three, maybe four. I haven't checked recently. But the other problem with owning any kind of bond or IOU, any kind of bond product is when you get a bond and you lock in an interest rate, is if interest rates go up, then the value of your bond goes down. Like, why would anybody want your old crappy bonds with that low interest rate when they could buy the new bonds with the higher interest rate? So you'd have to sell your bond at a discount. So a little bit of a challenge with that. And then there's private money loans, which pay really, really high rates of interest, assuming you trust the borrower uh, or have it properly collateralized. Again, you know, lawyers, paper, contracts, uh, but uh, not very liquid. Cash flow is very nice, uh, but not very liquid. Um, so at any rate, that's a good time to move on to the retirement, the retirement uh, module. People often have some kind of retirement plan and they have it on like set it and forget it mode. Right. And that's all fine and good when the market does what it's been doing for the last several years. But, you know, the old joke was, uh, hey, my 401k turned into a 201k. <laughs> and people have seen that just from being passive and forgetting about it. Um, I'm a 
big fan and actually really didn't get into it. Knew of them, but didn't get into it until crypto of self-directed IRAs and 401ks. Wonderful tool. You know, you could set up for a thousand bucks or less. Uh, I have something going with Broad Financial. My referral code is at Hutch on the go. Shameless plug. They told me that if uh, if anybody signs up, that they'd give them a discount, but they'd split the discount with me. And I told them, I don't want that. I want everybody to get the full discount without me. And so they're just kind of tracking. Uh, so basically, you get the full full discount it was a 200 dollars discount and they were going to give me half and i said i don't want that but just go ahead and track and if you think i'm adding value then throw me a bone <laughs> for what it's worth so at any rate uh broad financial was wonderful to work with and essentially for less than a thousand bucks you can set up the infrastructure to have your own self-directed ira or solo 401k i highly recommend the latter if you have the means if you have any kind of self-employment income a self-directed 401k is awesome because you are the trustee of your 401k. If you have an old IRA and you want to do a rollover, fine. You can do that and you'll have more control, but you actually have to use uh, an actual corporate trustee. So they use Madison Trust Company. They've been in business for a long time. Um, and you have to pay a little extra fees to have that third-party custodian. But when you're a business owner, like I actually have a business and I have a company 401k with lots of employees, I actually run, I'm the trustee of that 401k as it is. Like they're trusting me not to the employees, not to rip them off. And obviously that's a huge, it'd be a huge federal crime if I did. And I wouldn't. So when it's your own company, those same rules, so those same rules apply in that you can be the trustee of your own 401k. So there's this whole argument of if you have crypto on a ledger in a self-directed IRA, do you really have custody? And it's a gray area. Nobody really knows because somebody got busted for holding gold coins. And, um, you know, you could argue all day long when it's on a ledger. It's not you're not holding it. You just have private keys. And I would actually argue that's kind of the same thing as like having an IRA and fidelity like if you have an IRA and Fidelity, you kind of have the private keys of that IRA because you can manage the investments. You can have them send you a check and cash it out and do whatever you want with, even though there there be taxes and penalties. It's kind of the same thing, but it's still a gray area. What I'm telling you is with a self-directed 401k, it's not. It's not a gray area at all. So you can actually have the keys to your crypto. You can set up an account at KuCoin. You can set up whatever, do any DeFi stuff you want. Uh, you can do private money lending. Talk about a great place to do private money lending. I have a client who's in real estate, does apartments, and sometimes do always doing flips and moves and everything. And uh, I was talking to him about doing some private money lending. And I realized for me to do it on my per person, I'm going to pay tax at the highest rate. So it's like, even if he's going to pay me 10%, it's going to equal five. But if I did that in IRA, then that 10% is tax sheltered. But you can't do that with a Fidelity IRA. You got to have self-directed. Then I control the checkbook. So it's a great tool, especially for those, those things you want to do that cash flow that maybe aren't a, a multi-use asset. So perfect DeFi example, that would be LPs, right? They were talking about doing LP lending, like borrowing against LPs. That would have been amazing. Uh, they were talking about that with Spectrum and Luna, but never came to fruition. Somebody may do it on osmosis or somewhere, but, um, but when it comes to LPs, if you think about it, you earn these high returns, um, but it's just a single use asset. It's sitting in there. Sometimes it's locked, all that stuff. Um, that's a great thing to do inside an IRA. 
for for one reason, like you don't really want to go for the high score with an IRA because it's almost like you have a mortgage against your balance. What I mean by that is when you have a IRA or a traditional 401k, a non-Roth IRA, non-Roth 401k, what happens is you earn money and you said, I don't want to pay taxes on this money now. So I'm going to put it in this structure and I'll pay taxes on it later, right? You're going to defer taxes. You don't avoid taxes, you defer them. The problem with that is you're going to pay tax on not only the seeds you put in there, but all the growth and the harvest later on. And worse yet, you're going to pay it at some rate that you don't even know what that's going to be. So the, the old adage was, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Well, how do you know? <laughs> what if I become really successful? What if I stay the same and the government's been so fiscally irresponsible that they need to raise taxes on everybody? What if my house is paid off and I know how long I have a mortgage deduction? All my kids will be grown up and I won't have these exemptions. Uh, so I'm I'm struggling myself to find out how I'm going to be at a lower tax bracket in retirement. Now, living in California and being in one of the highest tax states, um, it does make sense to me for me to avoid some of the higher tax brackets and put money in there. But when I do, I'm not trying to knock the cover off the ball with that money. And so going back to the investment module or investment strategy, you want to be diversified. That's something we all learn with Luna. So if we all want to be diversified and you're going to have some more conservative investments in DeFi, that could be something like, you know, I knew a lot of lunatics are like, I don't own any Bitcoin, right? Like, why would I own Bitcoin? Because Luna's going to the moon. Well, maybe that's a great Bitcoin could be a good thing to put inside a self-directed IRA. Why? Because you can't stake it. It's not going to cash flow for you. You can't borrow against it, but you got to send it to one of these places, that, right? I don't know if you want to be sending it to a Celsius right now or or any, or maybe one that even hasn't declared they have bad news yet. Like I'm a little sketched out on that. Um, and if maybe you think alts are going to go crazy and Bitcoin will become more and more valuable as a store of value in the future, but you're not, you compared to other crypto, it's not going to knock the cover off the ball. So maybe you put though the, the crypto you think is going to knock the cover off the ball or super devalued. You put that in something like a Roth, you want your moonshots in a Roth, but in the IRA, you want something like Bitcoin or like, I know a lot of people were doing uh, liquidity pools, yield farming with stable coins. And usually you get a pretty nice rate, but it's not as good. It's not as high of a rate as if you're using two volatile tokens, right? So maybe those lower rate stable coin pools, they're only paying whatever, 20, 30%, whatever they're paying. That's a great thing to put in an IRA because it's going to cash flow nicely. It's going to kick off yield. Normally, you would get taxed on that as ordinary income from an LP, but put inside an IRA, you're not. And it's just naturally going to be more stable, which is okay. You want those diverse fires anyway. It's a great place to put it. So that's how I think of uh, investing in an IRA and 401k. Um, but I, you know, and going back to the Roth, you really want the moonshots, whether it be stocks, right? Because there's going to be an opportunity with stocks are down, you know, kind of the boring, call it blue chip stocks. Like maybe you want some of those. They're paying dividends and everything else. 
that's a great thing to put inside an IRA versus the fang type stuff, or maybe some of the moonshot fangs we haven't even heard of. That's the kind of stuff you want to put into a Roth, right? Because then if it shoots the moon, uh, you paid your tax on the seed going in, but you pay no tax on the growth. You pay no tax on the harvest. Just to tie that back to the overall investing, uh, the investment module and the, my liquidity and leverage. So, it's okay to do the same stuff inside taxable accounts. You can do some boring blue chips inside the taxable account and you will get a lower rate on certain dividends are called qualified dividends. They're currently 15%, but it's almost better to do growth stocks that are beat up because they kick off no dividends. So if you're really trying to avoid tax, um, you know, maybe 15% is not the end of the world for you, fine. But you could really segregate out and allocate out uh, the holdings you have that have a higher potential for growth that don't have dividend income and put that in your taxable brokerage account because as the equity grows, you'll have more and more capacity for leverage. Not to mention, when you hold a stock, even though it's not in a tax-deferred account, when you just buy and hold a stock, like say Apple before it held dividends or like uh, Tesla, right? If you just hold Tesla and buy it low and it goes up, you don't pay any tax on the growth. It's tax deferred naturally. You get to choose when you want to recognize those gains, right? You'll see unrealized gains, but you don't recognize any tax until you go ahead and dispose of that asset. And as again, as its value grows, you'll have more leverage capacity against it. And obviously you have to manage that and be careful everything else. But for me, the... The stuff that has the highest growth potential and the least amount of, call it taxable yield, that's the stuff I either want to put in my Roth or my taxable account. Um, oh, another like another Roth example. This is no longer here. But like if you were going to LP inside a Roth, maybe you do something like Prism's P Luna slash C Luna, right? Because you think that both are going to go up a lot and it's cash flowing, it's kicking off yield rather than have that on your person, right? You might just hodl and stake Luna on your person because as of right now, because of that decision in Tennessee or the, at least the temporary decision they got right now, staking yields are not taxable. Now I would keep an eye on that because it wouldn't surprise me with this crypto smear campaign going on if they find a way to change that. But for the time being, uh, it was user-created property. And so staking rewards were not taxed. So just hodling and staking things on your person at the moment could change. Seems to be a good thing to do on your person. It's also worth noting that um, you, if you stake inside an IRA or a Roth, there is something called UBIT. Uh, unrealized business uh, income tax, and they don't want they don't want any kind of people business. Like they don't mind LPs because it's an AMM, an automated market maker. There's no people involved. All right, so you can earn that yield inside an IRA or a Roth, but they don't want staking, even though it is there. Somebody's running a node somewhere, according to them, and so. It wouldn't surprise me if that one remains as UBIT and unfavorable to keep it an IRA Roth. But regardless, with this new uh, decision, I think that's something you want to hold on your person. Uh, Edwin, how am I doing? I, I think we got 25 more minutes. I still got to talk about... Uh, I still, That was taxation, by the way. <laughs> I, I just went into taxation. Still want to talk about insurance and estate planning. Is there any any questions, Any anything, or should I just keep going?
Yeah, uh, I mean, first of all, I just wanted to say that you're doing a good job of sharing all of this information in in a quick, you know, one one hour session. I know you have a lot to go over still. Um, if anybody does have questions, feel free to DM uh, the Orbital Command account, and then I will bring it up to Hutch. Uh, also, um, you can join our Discord, and we have a channel named TradFi into DeFi. You can go there and ask questions as well. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, this is really good information, Hutch. So definitely go ahead, go in. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I did talk to Edwin about hey, if people have questions, I don't, he wanted to keep it to an hour and I think that's probably wise. So if you do have questions, just send them to orbital command and he's going to gather all of them and either I'll do a thread. I'll, we'll answer them individually, or maybe just do another call if, if we're getting a lot of questions. So people have individual questions probably won't get answered on this call right now, but do want to make sure they do get answered. And, and, you know, I want to know, cause this stuff's second nature to me, but I realize, especially if you just talk an hour of drivel, it's just like, <laughs> it may just go over people's heads. So want to, uh, want to know what you guys are getting out of this. Um, all right. So the other, the other facet, probably the most underutilized facet of financial planning is the insurance or the protection module. And most people think of insurance as kind of this necessary evil, if you will, right? It's just kind of this thing they have to do. So I have to have this minimum car insurance so I don't get a ticket and I don't get in trouble. Uh, but really, um, hold on, where did we go? Here we go. But really, it is um, it should be thought of differently. So I know all the commercials are out there are talking about say fifteen percent and fifteen minutes or more. But the way I look at insurance is I look at it as having the protection, right? Like they say in in football, defense wins champ championships. The more assets you have, the bigger the target you are. Um, and that's going to keep on as this divide between the haves and the haves nots keeps dividing. And obviously there's lots of forces in play here to make sure that keeps happening. Um, it's going to become more and more pertinent. So like car insurance is, is one example. So like most, I think the minimum for car insurance in my state is to have a $30,000 liability limit. Like if I just hit the wrong car, if I just hit like a nice Honda Accord, all of a sudden the insurance is only going to cover part and I'm going to have to come out of pocket the rest. That's if I don't hurt anybody. <laughs> so I have the maximum amount of liability coverage, which is 250,000 per person and 500,000 per accident. But again, in, in California, if I hit the wrong car with the wrong people in there, I could quickly go over that limit. And next thing you know, uh, they're looking to my assets to make them whole. Um, and that would not be a good thing. And most people, most people, when they look at car insurance, they look at the bill and they look at the deductible, right? So a deductible is what you have to pay out of pocket when something is your fault. Or like if you walk out of the grocery store and there's like a big gash in your door and you're like, shoot, they didn't even leave a note. Now I'm either going to have to pay for this or file insurance. Well, 
if I only have a 250 deductible, I'll file insurance because I only have to pay 250 and they're going to pay 3000 or whatever it is. If I have a 500 deductible, I'm going to have to pay 500. And so I'm going to pay a little bit more, even though it only costs 3000. And if it's a thousand, even more, well, as you would expect, the higher you make that number, the cheaper your insurance becomes. And that's probably the biggest driver. What's interesting is when you go up in liability limits from that $30,000 liability limit to 255, 250,000, 500,000, it doesn't move the needle that much because that doesn't happen that much, that much. But insurance companies are always getting nickel and dime. And so basically the way they see it is if you have some skin in the game, if you choose a higher deductible, they're willing to give you a break on your insurance. So when I first learned about this, what I did is I went through all of my insurance and I just asked a bunch of questions and kind of found the sweet spot for me. For me, it's 500. I did a thousand for a while. And, and then I did, that did happen. Like my car did get hit actually in my buddy's driveway uh, by a drunk driver. It got pretty wrecked pretty badly. Um, and the thousand dollar deductible, uh, I realized that if there was any incident, like one incident every seven to eight years, I was probably better off doing the 500. I just do the 500, but it's up to you guys. I mean, like you, you do it on your own to see what's, what's what. But chances are, if you go through your insurance and you raise your deductibles to a level that you're comfortable with, you'll be able to take that savings and apply it to, I would recommend for auto always having the max, the 250-500. And you'll, you'll learn why in just a second. For your home insurance and you know, people think like, oh, well, if something breaks, I'll fix it myself. The home insurance, the, the key component to that is the liability. Like if you, if you do anything, if anybody sues you for anything, I shouldn't say anything, but like if somebody gets hurt on your property or you hurt somebody out in life, like not in your car, usually it's the home insurance liability component that covers things. That's not what most people think about. So most people have a good $500,000 of coverage or a million dollars of coverage of liability on their home. I'm actually going to give you opposite advice. I'm going to recommend that you lower it to 300,000, which sounds crazy after what I just got done saying about the car. Uh, why? Only do that if you're going to get something called an umbrella policy, because an umbrella policy will, it'll, it'll basically make up for anything above 300,000 in your home or the 255 in the car. And to get a, if you, when you call your insurance people, if you have the maximum car and you have at least 300 home and you ask them for a million dollar umbrella policy or a $2 million umbrella policy, which goes over and above those limits for the car or the home, you're going to find it's not that much more expensive. Uh, it's, it's not that it's actually cheaper to get like 2 million than it is 1 million. And now you have this extra umbrella of coverage, uh, over and above what those limits are in your car or your home. And again, you can just adjust your deductible and usually save a little bit of money. You're, you're going to have to come a little bit out of pocket, but you're talking like, if you do it monthly, it's like crumbs, but knowing that you have this extra coverage, uh, if you have assets in life will help you because, I, I talked about it in the, the tweet. I don't know how many of you read it, but it's really like having a bunch of high powered attorneys on retainer in your life. Like if you get sued for anything, somebody slips and falls in your property, near your property, uh, your kids hit somebody, 
car. If you have assets, you're at risk. But all of a sudden, if you put a million, two million, three million dollars of insurance company assets on the hook via an umbrella policy, they are going to put the best lawyers on the case to protect you and defend you. So that's the way I look at basic insurance is I like to self-insure for the small risks. I don't really care about the nickels and dimes. It sucks when they happen, but it, like I say, it, that'll ruin my day. If I walk out of the grocery store and there's a gouge in my door and I have a $500 deductible versus a $250 deductible, that'll ruin my day, but it won't ruin my life. <clears throat> but if I have the wrong types of liability coverages and I accidentally bump into somebody in a crosswalk, right? That could ruin my life if I'm underprotected ruin my family's life. Um, so the other type of insurance that uh, I was going to talk about is something I do focus on in TradFi, not totally ready to dox myself in life. I'm getting there uh, after something I'm going to talk about in the estate planning module, uh, but uh, is life insurance. And most people say they won't need life insurance in retirement. I honestly hope they don't. And uh, I hope I don't either. But life insurance, when I learned about it, it's totally counterintuitive, is something that people may want in retirement. Why? Well, because it is the only thing I know of that is immune from both market risk and future taxation. And for those of you that came from the Luna ecosphere, or really anybody in crypto, before I found out, it was the other reason I really gravitated towards Luna, is I was using whole life and certain types of index universal life as my stablecoin before finding uh, these crypto projects. And, you know, when I heard of a stablecoin earning 20%, like that definitely moved the needle for me, come to find out. <laughs> there's a reason, right? It, like there's always a correlation to risk to reward. Yeah, we were getting paid a nice uh, risk premium, but all of that stuff came to fruition, uh, at least with the UST. But what's nice about whole life insurance is because it provides a social good in the eyes of the government, meaning it's protecting widows and orphans, any tax policy is meant to incentivize behavior. So they're basically saying, you know, if you go ahead and buy this insurance that doesn't go away, we're going to give you some certain tax benefits along with it. And the tax benefit is, uh, to make a long story short and simplify things, is they tax it almost identically to a Roth. It's not exactly the same, but for the practice, for the purposes of this call, it's about the same. It's taxed almost the same as a Roth, meaning you put in after-tax dollars, you don't pay any tax while it grows, it grows tax-sheltered, and as you take distributions, so long as you don't cancel the policy, anything can come out uh, tax-exempt, which is quite nice, uh, especially when I look to the future, because we're since the first time since World War II, our GDP, our, our excuse me, <laughs> our growth domestic pro uh, product is less than the amount of debt we have. So that's quite scary. It's, it's our debt to GDP ratio is higher than it's been since World War II. And if you look at the tax brackets after World War II, the highest tax bracket got up to the 90s. So much so that people like Elvis stopped doing anything more than one hit record or one movie per year because it didn't make sense. The second one, he was going to get one and the federal government was going to get nine. 
Um, Jack Nicholas, the golfer, allegedly got into course design because he needed some business write-offs to bring down that income. Because essentially after he won his second major, whatever that is, his second tournament throughout the year, he might as well have just been playing for the government. And so, you know, especially when people have a lot of money tax deferred inside 401ks, IRAs, or just embedded gains, like they token go up and they just have all these gains built into token go up by retirement. If everything you have is susceptible to tax, then it's not going to take too much income before you are in the situation where a lot of what you're taking is going straight to the system to pay down $30 trillion of debt or whatever it grows to by then. So you still want to have a nice income. And so you need sources like, and there's only three of them, it's Roth, beauty bonds, or life insurance that are immune to tax on distribution. But if you have enough money in the supplemental areas, then you can balance, you can toggle how much you take in any given year in retirement uh, to fall into the tax brackets that you want to fall into while still living a good life. So it's an interesting concept. And the other, the other thing, quite frankly, is market losses. Like it's hard to find non-correlated assets these days. It's really, really hard to find. Like we learned that with crypto and Bitcoin, right? Crypto bows to King Bitcoin, which bows to Emperor S&P. And so there's going to be years in retirement, like now, where the market's bleeding and everything's down and you're not going to want to cash out more shares, more tokens while they're down just to live the lifestyle you're used to living. You're going to want to let your investments heal, be it stocks, crypto, funds, whatever it is. And if you have... Assuming you had some stable coins that were uh, both immune to market risk and immune to future higher taxation uh, while it was growing, uh, you can do that. Um, so that's how I use that's how I use life insurance. Not for everybody. I'm not saying it is for everybody, but it is something that most people don't think of. Um, and that's a great segue into estate planning. So estate planning again, most people just think of ah. Uh, I'll figure that out later. Like it's that's for what old people do before they die. <laughs> and that's and that's valid to a degree. Obviously, we don't get to pick when we die, but the other thing that you should consider about estate planning is that everything's estate planning, right? Like eventually, like they say, you can't take it with you. But there's also a lot of opportunities, especially for those for higher net worth. And uh, like, as of a couple months ago, we were all there getting there. <laughs> there's, there's opportunities in the state planning code to, that are synonymous with protection. In fact, most asset protection strategies have to deal with certain types of trusts. And there are certain types of trusts and certain domiciles, like meaning certain states that you can set up trusts that you can even protect yourself. The other thing you can do is, is with parents. Just, most people don't talk about money with their parents, right? Um, it's like, don't tell me my business, boy. Um, but if your parents set up trust for you, if you think of like the wealthiest families in the world, like you hear the term trust fund baby, uh, the reason they set those up and they set up all the fortune and trust is because there's something called spendthrift provisions. And spendthrift provisions protect the beneficiaries. Well, you can actually, there are certain states where you can do that for yourself. And 
where their states say you can't do it for yourself, you can have your parents do it for you. And another cool little strategy, I know we're getting close to time, is something called upgifting. It was something I was planning on doing uh, when my Luna got to whatever, three, four, five hundred, is you could gift, you could gift assets to older parents. And when they pass away right now, there's something called a step up in basis, meaning when they die and it comes back to you, you inherit the basis at the moment they died. So it was a way to essentially take all those unrealized gains in crypto uh, and have them be erased with a step up in basis when an older parent died. So it's just something to be mindful of that I, it, it, we can go, this this could be its own separate call uh, with certain types of uh, trust. And I don't want to, I don't want to melt everybody's brain here, but just know that there are opportunities and the more you're worth, uh, the more you should be considering it long before you plan to pass away. Uh, because there are opportunities, there are benefits that can benefit you. And even though there's a trade-off between that asset protection and control, there are ways to set up assets trust to where there are certain escape hatches if you need the money back and you can set it up in a way that gives you sufficient strings of income controls the wrong word income and access let's just say uh without violating the terms and conditions of the trust so that was a lot i know we got about nine more minutes i need some water so i see people have requested uh oh it's Sefi's here i haven't even looked hey Sefi, long time hey bud uh just checking in seeing what you're up to with these discussion <laughs> um but yeah I, I would reiterate uh that i kind of reviewed my various uh life insurance type things that i have i've got uh some universal life which is sort of like more like a mutual fund uh type of uh, vehicle uh except that any gains on it are non-taxable as a death death benefit and i can also borrow off it later if i want to go on vacation or something later in life uh i could just sort of like have a like use that as a like vacation fund in theory or some other fund for something uh, didn't you borrow off of it didn't you borrow off it off of some after some of our discussions in the past i know you were talking to a bank about setting that up um i thought about it and i was sort of like called and made some phone calls and there, there were some reasonable interest rates to do so I just never like sort of like bothered in this case was probably a good thing <laughs> yeah. so, uh, <laughs> to go. So it didn't go full degen, but no, I just left it alone. So it's just sitting there. So I've got like some universal life. Um, and then I've got like my wife and I both have like uh, levels of term life. I think a reasonable amount of term life to have for people, uh, especially if you're younger and you have kids is um, it's not unreasonable to select an amount that covers like, your kids uh, worth of college educations, if something were to happen to you, plus or minus the value of your outstanding debt for like your home and whatnot. So that if something happens to you, you know, your kids are neither, hopefully neither homeless nor, uh, you know, lacking the funds to go to school and stuff at some point down the line. So it's like, you want to save your generation from disaster, essentially, is the way you want to look at that. Um, and it's more, and it's reasonably cheap uh, for what it does, I guess. Uh, and, and that's definitely a consideration. Uh, and then I also, uh, happened to take on Hutch. I, I, I had a fair amount, um, of disability insurance as well, just because, um, I didn't do it for my wife, just for myself, uh, in case, uh, you know, males in particular, are a little bit 
higher likelihood of becoming disabled for various things, vascular disease, this and that. So I was like, all right, let's just take some on myself so that if I lose my income earning potential, I'm making enough off of the uh, sort of disability insurance that, um, you know, it, it'll, it won't necessarily make me fully whole in terms of the same income, but hopefully enough to make a massive difference. Um, those things, though, have a lot of rules. These are not like short term disability. So like you do have to have a plan for like the first few months if something happens to you uh, and that kind of thing. What's, what's really interesting about that is my disability insurance is due, I think, April 16th. And I thought about canceling it. And I thought, you know, I better just pay for one more year, right? And obviously, Luna crashed on May 9th. Now, I'm happy I paid that bill. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, this is the thing, like, when you're, when you're doing well on something, you're, you're willing to take risks and other things um, that maybe we ought not to, right? That's the problem. So in a way, um, not messing with, like, the, the thesis for why we got into those sorts of insurance policies and whatnot in the first place uh, you know, you could argue that that thesis still exists no matter how, what else is going on in your life. Um, now you could make the argument that, yeah, if you, if you are now worth a hundred million dollars or something and you don't need, you know, you're pretty sure you don't need disability insurance. Uh, you know, there, there's layers to this obviously, but for most people, I'd say the original thesis still sticks, uh, because you don't know exactly what cost of living is going to be like, especially if you're younger you get disabled relatively early or something like that. You don't know what the cost of uh, living will be 30, 40 years from now. So like a number that seems like a high amount in terms of, oh, wow, I got insurance of, you know, millions on myself in case something happens to me. But then it turns out that like the dollar's worth nothing in 30 years. <laughs> like you can't buy a cheeseburger with a million dollars. That would be a problem, right? So um, some of these amounts may seem like a lot. They might not be as much as you think they are. So that's another thing. Just a heads up, Sefi, there are a couple different uh, lenders that plan to come out with uh, universal life lines of credit to where I think you were talking to bankers that were just going to give you a loan and it was going to like the, the meter was going to start kicking right away. What's cool about these lines of credit program is they won't be there won't be a charge to set them up. They'll essentially underwrite you for free and then you'll just have the line of credit and you'll it'll be a floating rate tied to prime but at least you'll be able to see it so if you need liquidity in real time again i'm just real big on having liquidity and knowing i can get to it uh that might be something interesting to explore there's a couple different banks coming out with it yeah which, said which by ones K4, are those? Um, I can't, I can't say I'm actually under NDA, <laughs> uh, but when they come out, I can, uh, I can let you know, uh, actually no, one of them, I'm not, one of them's Bancorp. And, and I think if you're on Twitter, the, the Bancorp, they're the one though, that they, they said it was going to be by this year. And now they're saying the end of the year, they kind of, the way they're doing it, it kind of reminds me of like pool contractors, like, oh yeah, like landscape contractors, like it'll be the end of the year. That could be like end of 2023 by now. The one that is going to come out with it sooner rather than later, I am under NDA. So, but I can, one, I can yeah, let one, you know. One mental trap for people to avoid is, you know, you get into all these little, in, you know, financial engineering strategies and you realize, hey, you know what, I have like line of credit and like I can get this and I can get that whenever I need to. Um, and that can lead to sort of like uh, bad behavior in some ways. Like, for example, uh, like, let's say, for example, all right, like I take a, you know, cholesterol pill and I've been doing so for a very long time. And, uh, you know, does that lead me to eat things I probably shouldn't because I'm like, ah, the pill will take care of it. Like, you know, like psychologically, you make that leap. 
whether you know it or not. Like, and that's a funny thing. It's like the existence of these types of lines of credit and whatnot could actually be a crutch making you think you're safer than you are and um, inadvertently make you behave differently and cause you to do stupid shit. So just <laughs> for reference, the, don't uh, do stupid shit. Don't do hey, stupid shit. Yeah. <laughs> just real quick, Edwin, I, I want to be respectful. I know you wanted to end on the hour. I see we have questions. We have Sefi the machine here. So like this could go to midnight. Did you want to end this and maybe Sefi another one and I can hang out for a little bit and answer questions? What, what did you want to do exactly? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's up to you, Hutch. Uh, I'm okay with going over, you know, a few minutes. That's not a problem at all. Um, okay. But yeah, okay. we have, we have uh, one request here, and I have gotten some questions on DM as well. It's up to you if you want to answer them now or through a, a thread later on. Yeah, let's um, let's let's take the ones that that have come up, and um, and let's see how let's see if we can get through those quickly. And if we have time for others, great. If not, we'll hit it through the thread. All right. So first one, Nickel, you got a question or comment? Uh, hey, how you doing? Um, yeah, so I'm going to try to respect the uh, the time limit and all. But um, just was going to say, um, I currently work in Northwestern Mutual. Um, I'm a financial representative. and just wanted to add on to the, the whole life insurance piece. Um, you know, the life insurance is a great way to hedge against downturns in the market, especially right now, as you're seeing, you know, people are being forced to withdraw from their Roth. Uh, the 401ks. And, um, you know, while those are good to build up, you know, they are market correlated, you know, as uh, I think Hutch was saying, um, and, you know, he basically hit on every piece that I wanted to comment on. Um, just wanted to hop in here and say, you know, if anyone was uh, interested in learning more about it or interested in possibly opening a policy, um, you know, my DMs are open. Uh, you could just shoot me a DM and, um, you know, I'd be willing to meet with anyone over a Zoom or a phone call or anything just to, uh, you know, provide more information about it. Um, again. Nico, uh, I, I, I use uh, Northwestern Mutual. It's very, very good. Yeah, it's it's honestly my, my, yeah. My, my experience. My experience with it has been very, very good. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely the um, the top tier um, mutual company in the States. Fortune 100 company, a very trustworthy company. Um, so, you know, if anyone was trying to, you know, protect their portfolio with the non-market correlated asset that I think Hutch really hit on perfectly. Um, defensive planning, um, non-market correlated asset, um, you know, just reach out. Um, I could definitely get you connected with a senior uh, advisor on my team and um, we could start there. So, yeah, just wanted to add that in. And uh, I think Hutch did a great job um, elaborating on that. Great. Thank you for that, Nico. Uh, do we have a question or comment from Casey? Yeah, I think a lot of you guys probably know, or some of you guys remember, I said I'm in a wheelchair. I broke my back 15 years ago when I was 20 years old. Obviously, I wasn't very smart at planning my financial future at that point, but um, I did have disability insurance. And yeah, I can tell you, it, uh, it it's it's definitely smart to have some protection there because as they said too, I'm like, obviously, the, uh, the value of it drops ever ever so quickly as you know because the rate stays the same you get the same amount every month and uh you know the, the higher inflation is or the higher thing the, the more things change the more uh the less money you have to work with but uh luckily um you know i didn't need it forever and i moved back into a career but still it uh it it, it definitely it's definitely something you need to think about because if i was disabled to the point where i didn't have the ability to get back into something that i love doing and that i'm able to do 
um it's something people should think about i don't think anybody really takes it seriously at my when i was 20 years old but uh at any age you should probably consider it yeah thank you for for sharing that it's definitely important as uh we're we're seeing here from the conversation that Hutch is having as well. I do have a question from Edith. Um, she's asking Hutch, uh, you were mentioning that you can LP or stake and kind of wrap that in an IRA or Roth. Um, what what is a platform that allows us to do that? Yeah, so let me just clarify. So staking, even though it's a gray area to me, uh, it's it's pretty. Um, dark gray, I guess you could say. I think staking will be considered something called UBIT, uh, unrelated business income tax or UBTI, unrelated business taxable income. It's called both things. But essentially, they don't like it when a human is attached anywhere to the yield generation. Uh, And since somebody is running a node somewhere, I think that would get easily construed as UBIT. So I would not do staking in a self-directed in any kind of IRA platform. Edith, there, there are what I call vanilla vendors. So like uh, I trust capital. They were even advertising on like, I think Super Bowl um, uh, directed IRA. I've actually used them before and they, they were actually quite good as far as like being responsive and having a structure and everything with DocuSign. What I don't like about those vanilla ones where they're the custodian is you're going to pay a little more than 1% on trades. Uh, and there's going to be an ongoing fee every year, somewhere, you know, call it somewhere between like 20 to 30 bucks a month. So it works out to be quite expensive. <clears throat> if you do a full self-directed, I use broad financial. Uh, and I talked about it earlier. I, I have a thing with them and they said like, Hey, you, you will create a discount code for you and the client will save 200 bucks and you get half and they get half. And I said, I don't want that. I all of them. And then if I, if whatever, enough people come with my referral code, then throw me a bone. So broad financial, I think their cost to set it up is nine ninety nine. But if you use my Twitter ad on the go, uh, it's seven ninety nine, And that's like for one time setup, there is ongoing maintenance of a few hundred bucks per year, but they actually help you with the filing. Cause you have to, you have to do some filing and everything else. If you have an IRA, you're going to have to use their trust company and everything else. But if you, if you're self-employed, which I, I know a little bit about your situation that I want to reveal, but I think you have some W2 income, but you also have some self-employment income. If you have some self-employment income, you could set up a solo 401k and basically run your own 401k. And you could also roll other IRAs that you have from elsewhere into your solo 401k. And then once it's part of a solo 401k, it's, almost like you would just set up a KuCoin account and you would set up a ledger and you would move stuff off to DeFi. It's, it's basically that like when you are the trustee of your own solo 401k, you get to pretty much do whatever you want. That's within the legal limit. So I wouldn't do staking, but you can do uh, liquidity pools and yield farming just like you would with dollars that you earn and you just did on your own. It's just, you have to make, make sure to segregate it and say like, okay, this ledger, <laughs> this is for my solo 401k. This one over here is my personal. This is my solo 401k. It's cool. Like the other, I was at a TradFi conference last week and uh, a guy picked me up from Lyft and uh, his, he was like the, it was like the cleanest car. It was just like a souped up camera, like super clean. He was real professional, had the bottle of water, like, like all dialed in. And um, 
he told me he had an LLC and I just asked him how the gas price was affecting profitability, but like knew his business inside and out. He was retired, like semi, like basically semi-retired and doing that. And I asked him if he knew about solo 401k. He said, no. I'm like, yeah, like you can also just go to like Fidelity or Schwab. There's actually no cost to set those up. Obviously you can't do DeFi, but like if you have self-employment income, you could just call Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, and it's basically free to set those up. And if you have a, if you have a solo 401k, the limits are instead of like normally with an IRA, you can do whatever 6,000 and change. Uh, but with, uh, with a solo 401k, you can do 20,500 into a, regular 401k, or you could do 20,500 in a Roth 401k. Plus you can still do 20% of whatever your self-employment income is. That's always going to be in the non-Roth, the traditional 401k. So it's, it's an amazing tool. Think of it like a SEP, essentially, however much you could do in a SEP, you could do that in a solo 401k. Plus you can take 20,500 of your salary if you're under 50 and put it in a Roth component. So you could do that, like I said, through any of the the TradFi custodians, and it's just like it's like setting up an account. It's free, uh, and they have templates for the actual design, uh, the the 401k part. Um, but if you want to do DeFi, you have to go through somebody like Broad Financial. Hey, uh, Hutch, I wanted to add that um, I trust Capital. They used to charge a fee, and they don't anymore. And then it's a one percent transaction fee. And I know they're trying to bring staking to their platform at some point, but it hasn't gotten there yet. So. I uh, just want to mention that to people because it was like 30 bucks a month. So, yeah, it was 1% plus 30. Yeah. So, I, I would say, I like originally when I started, I did directed trust IRA only because they had Luna, they had wrapped Luna there, and I trust didn't. But if you were going to like buy and hold, then that's probably a good deal because you just pay the 1% one time and you just buy and hold on something like I trust capital. If you want to do any kind of more advanced strategies, um, you know, I, I would do the self-directed and I'd be careful. Uh, who is that? Casey. I'd be careful because if it's staking, like what's on Voyager where it's like, they call it staking, but it's really just like lending. That's totally cool inside an IRA. But if it's like true staking, right. And most of the time through exchanges, it's not true staking. So you're probably good where really they're just lending money out and you're earning a yield from the lending and they're calling it liquid staking or soft staking. Uh, but if, if it's, um, if it's true staking, I, I think there's, there's a potential little landmine there. Oh yeah, I've I've learned my my lessons off of that stuff. I'll I'll definitely once they bring it out, I'll definitely go into the details and make sure I don't get myself in trouble. All right, thank you, Hutch, for answering that question. I have Doctor Dosklin up here. Do you have a question or comment? Hi, sorry, I'm just plugging my headphones back in. I don't have a question. I just have a thank you to say to Hutch. Obviously, you guys are in the States and there's some differences between what happens over there and what happens here, but there are also some similarities and I can read between the lines of a lot of what you're saying. And so I just want to say thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom, sir. It's always a pleasure. And I am, um, yeah, you've definitely given me a few ideas. So if I have any questions, I will also send them through to the Orbital Command uh, inbox and we can forward them through to you. Yeah, no, that that's great. And just to remind everybody, um, Orbital Command has a whole channel devoted to TradFi meets DeFi. Uh, they made me, what, what am I? Artillery. I'm artillery on there. I don't go on to Discord much because I feel like a boomer when I do, but I have been trying to go on there occasionally and they're going to have mods that are monitoring the questions and keep me abreast. And yeah, we want to keep this an ongoing dialogue and they have a lot of resources for you know, all things crypto, DeFi, and I think they were excited to have this little 
call it financial organization, TradFi meets DeFi component, but they're community validator and they're doing a lot of cool things across a lot of chains now. Uh, so if you haven't joined their Discord, it doesn't cost any money and there's a wealth of information over there. So thank you, Orbital Command, for, uh, for hosting this. And Doc, um, you know, unfortunately, my knowledge is super US centric, but I actually want to be more knowledgeable and about international tax. So, I mean, at some point, at some point, it'd be I'd like to like maybe you and I can connect and I'd love to hear just kind of your takeaways as far as what the similarity similarities and differences are. Uh, just because, I mean, I'm a gamer, man. And so I, I look at all this stuff and I, I'm always looking for strategy, just like a DJ. And I'm always looking for ways to, OK, what's going on there? How do we optimize? How do we maximize? What's what's the angle? What's the play with this? And uh, it'd be interesting to hear about how things how things are and uh see if we can come up with a little game plan uh where you're at i i love that idea let's 100 do that i'll uh, i'll shoot you a link after the call all right hutch i got two last questions from you or sorry for you from nena and uh, one of them is in regard to the bear market that we're going through well are do you have any any suggestions any ideas that we can look into to help us survive this bear market yeah, so you know, my crystal ball is broken. I wish I knew exactly when to short, when to long. Um, I I was trading, and I was doing really well until we had that run up, and then I gave back a lot of my shorts. I will say this: something I talked about in a prior, I didn't talk about on this call, and something I plan to do more education about is using options. And I'm so sad because one of the last. Um, AMAs, Luna AMAs, I was part of a Sigma Finance. And that was going to be freaking amazing. They were doing options all on the Terra ecosystem. And um, I think they're still building somewhere, but I'm not I'm not sure. I think I saw they were on Luna too. I'm not sure if they're going somewhere else. But um, but yeah, I what's cool about options and people just mistake options as being risky, but let's face it, just hodling. <laughs> is also very risky. And so I think a lot of times people just say they're risky and they just kind of accept that at face value and they don't do any more education. But what's nice about options is there's a way to there's a way to make money in any market, up, down or sideways. But the other thing is like at some point all of us here kind of have a number we think is the bottom. Like let's just say for Bitcoin, right? Uh, uh, or it could be for stocks or whatever it is, but like there's some number we think that it's going to be a bottom or like Cephi's here. You know, I love Cephi's dynamic DCA. Like you start small and you just keep doubling, 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 doubling. Um, what's nice about options, especially with the strategy called selling puts, not financial advice, but when you sell puts, if you were prepared to DCA into the bottom, if you put your money where your mouth is, meaning like you actually just financially commit to doing so and you get to pick your price and you get to pick your time frame. Um, you can actually get paid to work your plan. Like if you had a plan to do that anyway, somebody will pay you and it's actually insurance. Like we talked about insurance puts when people are buying them, they're buying insurance. They're like, Oh my gosh, if Bitcoin falls too far, I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I can sell my Bitcoin at 
12,000, even if it goes to 3,000. Well, they'll buy insurance to know that they can always get 12,000 for their Bitcoin. If you're willing to buy Bitcoin at 12,000, and again, you put your money where your mouth is, they'll pay you that insurance. Now you'll have to pay 12,000 for that Bitcoin, but if you were gonna DCA anyway at 12,000, well, if you just bought Bitcoin at 12,000 and it say fell to 10, you'd be losing 2,000 bucks per Bitcoin, right? Now, if you sold puts at 12,000 for Bitcoin, and let's just say you got paid 1,000 bucks to do it or 500 bucks to do it, and Bitcoin dropped to 10,000, you still will have paid 12,000 bucks and it dropped, but you got paid 500 bucks to do it. So like Sefi does his dynamic DCA, if when there's blood in the streets and sky is falling and he went to the option chain of Apple, Facebook, Meta, whatever, Amazon, whatever, and just kind of went through a shopping list and just put orders in. And he did that every week, every month. You get to choose when you do it. It would almost be like collecting rent, collecting income on stocks you haven't even yet bought yet. And yeah, you might get stuck with the properties, but we're assuming that these are things you want to buy anyway. That's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do, and I have a client who uh, he's a real estate investor and I've known about covered calls forever. And he was showing me, he was really getting into covered calls. And I said, I think you're a real estate guy, not a stock guy. Cause usually like people are like hyper-focused on one. And he said, I look at all quality stocks almost as like rental property. Meaning when I buy a rental property, I don't really care that much about the property itself as long as it cash flows. And so when he buys quality stocks, it's the same, it's the reverse of what we talked about. Like he'll buy a stock like Apple, like Meta, like whatever, and he'll sell calls above it. And all that means is he's willing to sell the stock he owns at a higher price than it is today. And for just committing to that, for committing to taking profits, if it hits a certain level, he'll collect rent. Now, what's nice is if the stock falls, stays flat or falls, you collected rent you wouldn't normally collect. What sucks about those is if it moons, well, you sold your stock for a profit. You got paid to do it, so you got a little extra profit, but that's that's the other thing. So there's a there's a number of other option strategies that I know Shigio was into, and I was hoping that we'd collaborate on that at some point. Who knows? We still may. But I would say educate yourself about options in TradFi and DeFi because they're, mechanically they're all the same. I don't know what Sigma, Sigma Finance is up to, but I know there were some other platforms. But there's there's always opportunity there. Let's just, just say in any direction, if that helps, Ina. All right. And last one, another one from Nena is in regard to your experience in, in finance and what has been your best takeaway, either traditional finance or DeFi? You know, I wish I could say it was, it was all good. I mean, we're at a really, we're at a really interesting time. My biggest takeaway is there is no safe haven and everything you thought to be true today may not be true tomorrow. Everything is constantly in flux. So as much as people, you know, want to think they're safe with certain assets or asset classes or whatever, 
the sands are shifting all around us. Like, I don't know what's safe anymore. Obviously, Luna and UST was a super experimental program. So I'm not even talking about with what happened there. Uh, although that that did kind of spur this epiphany. But even cash, right? Good old USD, right? The world's reserve currency. It's becoming exponentially less valuable all the time. And, and I don't think I don't think we're done yet. And it's a little scary, right? Um, you know, obviously crypto people fight with gold bugs forever. And, you know, it's interesting to see that you would think gold would have mooned by now and it hasn't. It's just like everything's constantly in flux. So I guess the lesson is you have to be diversified, but you also have to be ever vigilant and constantly studying. Like there's just no way to hide under your bed. <laughs> Sorry, I know that wasn't the inspirational uh, message everybody was looking for, but uh, I think that's all the more reason to stay in touch about this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I feel that. So I appreciate you saying that as well uh, with your experience uh, in finance. But with that, I think we've had a, a very good uh, session today with Twitter Space. I appreciate your time, Hutch. And Sefi and the speakers that came up here and the listeners. Any last thoughts from you, Hutch, or Sefi? Uh, just thank you guys for hosting. This was fun and uh, looking forward to doing it again. And I appreciate you guys supporting everybody who has questions on the on the Discord. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody still has any questions or wants to continue to learn and discuss traditional finance and how that the merge between DeFi is happening, Join us on our Discord and we'll help you out there. And Hutch is going to be spending a little bit of his time there to, to answer those questions as well. Uh, but yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Casey, did you want to say something? Oh, no, I just, uh, you know, I was going to ask him. Uh, I saw he's a hero and I just didn't know how he felt about everything going on. I'm, I'm sure, you know, we can talk about it later in one of the the other meetings but yeah thanks a lot man for coming on and talking to us about everything you got it all right everybody have a great day thanks for checking out another episode of the ether that was six modules of cfp planning hosted by orbital command with hutch recorded on tuesday june 28th 2022 for terraspaces.org i'm finn thanks for listening Digging in the dirt, trying to find the treasure. Learning how to mix this business with pleasure. I'm kicking a lecture, spitting conjecture. High as a bird while I'm flipping the gesture. Living like a jester, infesting these extras. Dissecting a mess, the eagle looking headstrong. If in a Tesmo, the spit in his next world. And if you don't agree with it, I'm afraid you're dead wrong. So leave the mess hauling, clean your plates up. I can't believe the rest of y'all feed on makeup. Bereavement breakup to rearrange your wake up. Big ol' bloody mess like a scene from Braveheart. Driving race cars that beat the fate it's hard to meet your maker when the features ain't marked trying to slide underneath the paywall i'm afraid this motherfucker's gone awol you had better unfuck yourself or i will unscrew your head and kick down your neck sir yes sir private joker why did you join my beloved gold sir to kill sir no you're a killer sir yes sir let me see your war face sir you got a war face ah that's a war face now let me see your war face on the earth 
trying to mind some headspace Give a little gift like I'm lifted dead weights The risk of resting kicks the nest egg Square in the nuts, y'all feeling testy Three swept in, no need of resting The least depressing, so sweet but messy I need the best day to keep professing And hope my body doesn't leave behind a red stain Pouring out a little liquor for the dead states While the rest wait and bleed domestic No means to gestate, breeds the best cake Beauty on the back of the queen she just ate So take a little dive down a K-hole While I flip the B-roll right into A-roll And make the payroll go a little further Replace the merger with the tainted version Spaces.